Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. StrikeDeck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The StrikeDeck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. Today, we have our first repeat guest, Lonnie Brown from Intello. So, Lonnie, welcome back to Strike Deck Radio. Hi, thanks for having me again. Happy to be back. Thanks. Hey, Lonnie serves as the head of customer success at Intello. Lonnie came out of the recruiting and talent space and joined Intello as one of their first few employees. She has grown the customer success organization there from scratch into what is now a very sizable team. Lonnie is also actively involved in the customer success community here in the Bay Area, and I'm excited that she's here today to talk about how to leverage Salesforce for a customer success organization. Lonnie, I know the last time you were on the show, you went through your background, but since we now have some new listeners, can you give them a high-level update on your experience and how you ended up in the field of customer success, and also a little bit on Intello as well? Sure. My background is actually in the recruiting industry. So prior to Intello, I ran my own recruiting consulting company and I joined Intello because they're a recruiting software company. We provide a SaaS software application for talent and HR teams to use to kind of find, engage, hard to find talent um, just across the board. So we work with startups all the way to, you know, Fortune 100 global organizations. And um, I got into customer success by accident, actually. <laughs> um, as, as I may have mentioned before, I was running my own company in the recruiting space. I joined Intello as a consultant to really help them think about their product and um, and then also started to help them recruit after they raised their Series A. And then um, in my background, like I said, I run my com- own company. I've worked with customers in the past. And so when we needed a CS leader, we really wanted someone to have a domain, the domain expertise so that they can partner with our, our customers and kind of understand their world. And so that's how, you know, my CEO and I had the conversation of me leading that organization and kind of growing it from nothing. And so I grew it from zero people to now we're close to 30 on our customer success team. That's amazing. So I was listening to you share at a meetup in San Francisco a few months ago, and I really loved the practical tips that you had on how to leverage Salesforce, specifically in that meetup to smooth the relationship between sales and customer success. And as we started talking about that topic for this podcast, I realized that not just for that area, but you guys have really maxed out Salesforce. You are using every conceivable part of that tool. Um, And so, you know, and you're using it really across your organization. Um, 
before we get into details on that, which I'd really love for you to be able to share with the audience, can you tell me why you took that approach? Yes. Yeah, so I think um, we really wanted one kind of single source of truth um, and a really consistent way to report across our customers. So I know that there are lots of different tools that specialize in different things, um, but when you're using a lot of different tools that don't really interact with each other, um, you don't have that consistency. And so you're having to run reports and, and, and different technologies. And so we knew that if we could consolidate and do everything in Salesforce, even if we wanted to in the future use other tools and technologies, most of them would most likely integrate with Salesforce. So we'd still be able to leverage what we've built out in Salesforce, even if we then decided to go with other tools. Um, another reason is that many people, whether they're coming from customer success or sales, um, they've used Salesforce in the past. Um, it's one of those kind of system of record technologies that if you are working at a tech company or you've been in the tech space, you've come across Salesforce at, at one point or another. And so even if you're you know, using those out-of-box Salesforce objects, you'll still be able to know how to use anything custom in Salesforce, because once you know the Salesforce platform, you can really easily use it across the board. And so um, this really helped us kind of save a ton of time in terms of teaching our team. Um, whenever you introduce tools, there's a lot of change management that comes with it. And so by having it all in Salesforce, you kind of really minimize that process and it makes it more efficient. It also allows our team to have a very simple workflow um, so that they're not having to have a million different tabs or a million different tool windows open at the same time. They can just really work out of one platform, which is really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah. I am a person that does not like to have many tabs open at once. Other people love to seem to have them spread all across their screen, but I kind of like that neat, tidy just getting into one thing at a time. So I can appreciate the way that you have things set up. Since we have listeners with various CRM systems, do you think that some of your suggestions today will be relevant to any CRM tool or are they just really limited to Salesforce? Um, no, I think they apply to other CRM tools as well. I think Salesforce is probably just one of the most recognizable kind of CRMs. But as long as those other CRMs have the functionality to kind of customize and maybe build out custom fields and objects, um, many of them have that capability. So yeah, it should apply to all of those. Um, if there are some really inexpensive CRM solutions where it's literally just you get what's out of the box and you can't really customize anything. So if you have one of those tools, it might be a little harder. But I'd encourage people to inquire because many of these tools, you might think you bought an out-of-box tool only, but they actually do have that functionality and capability. So you just have to ask because sometimes it's not easily you know, available, you might not know that it's there. So if you just ask your reps, they'll be able to tell you if they have that functionality. That's a great suggestion. Thank you. So the reason we're talking today is because you shared some really interesting ways that you've used Salesforce to smooth the handoff from sales to customer success. So let's start with that. Can you describe how you've set up Salesforce to better manage that transition of customers from sales to customer success? Yes. So part of this for us is training and onboarding sales and customer success. So we do have a training and onboarding team 
who is responsible for training and onboarding all of our users, even pre-sales during trials. So our training and onboarding team kind of partner with the sales AEs and help them run their trials. And so we have a special object for the training team to fill out as it relates to the users that are being trained on those trials. And they fill out all those details so that the AEs are able to understand where we are in the trial process, how successful is it. And then if that deal does close, then the CSM will also get that knowledge as well. So how did the trial go? Who are the main you know, champions and power users in the trial? Are those going to be the same people that are using our software like once the customer signs their deal? Uh, so there's just a lot of knowledge transfer there. And so we have two objects One is just specifically related to the trial. And we ask, you know, we have a little custom fields and we find out like which users were trained, what was the feedback, like reasons for purchasing, what features they were trained on and and that they're really purchasing our solution for. And so they they just fill all of this out. Um, And then we have another object, which is similar but different. And our software solution is one of those tools where it's a per seat license basis. So they our customers will buy, you know, 20 seats. And then occasionally throughout that 12 month agreement, one of those recruiters leaves the company and they're like, oh, we have to like shut their seat off and assign it to a new person that we hire. And so our training team will be responsible for decommissioning that old license and then reactivating a new license. And so we have another object that walks through the user that's being swapped out, the new user that's coming in, when the training has been scheduled, when the training was completed, and then some additional notes. And so that gives the CSM some visibility into where the users are in their training process and then, you know, some really robust reporting. So I would say on the training and trial kind of handoff process, That's the object that we use. And then we also have another object as it relates to sales to customer success handoff. And that's an object that's for the sales rep to fill out. And this is everything that the sales rep has been able to learn um, as they've gone through the pre-sales process. So we have we ask all kinds of questions in this object, like who the decision maker is, um, the decision maker's title. We request them to pull in the decision maker's email and phone number. Um, I don't know if other people have this problem, but we initially had the problem where the sales rep would close the deal and there wasn't a smooth like introduction to the CS person. And there's lots of different contacts in Salesforce. And so the CSM was like, well, who's the main person that you know made the decision and is going to be my main point of contact? Who should I be running the QBRs with? There was just It was just hard to dig into Salesforce and understand that. So we have it in one clear place, like here's the DM, here's all their contact information. So we don't lose that um, uh, that knowledge. <laughs> I am 100% sure, Lonnie, that you are not the only one that has that problem. <laughs> Everyone has that problem. Yeah, it's especially, especially if you have a sophisticated sales process where you have multiple influencers and multiple contacts as, in, involved, it's really hard to understand who is the guy or gal. Um, so it just helps to have that in one clean area. And then we also need to find out 
and this is specific to our use case, but I think other companies will have similar situations where they're wanting to un, um, understand certain criteria. And so one of those things is we integrate, our software integrates with applicant tracking systems. So if you have a sales technology, you might be interested in what CRM solution, you know, your your client has. So we actually ask, like, what is the ATS that they're using? And there's like a drop down of all the main ones. Um, we'll ask, like, was the ATS integrated during the sales process, during the trial process? We have also have an email integration. So I know there's tons of software tools that integrate with email clients out there. And so we need to know, are they on Gmail? Are they on Outlook? Is it Outlook Exchange? Is it Office 365? There's all these different um, nuances that we need to know. And so we have the AE kind of fill all of this out as they're going through the pre-sales process. And then there's other things like, is this an enterprise account? And it, what's the overall account potential? Because that really helps me as a CS leader be able to assign the right type of CSM if we know that, okay, maybe they're only closing for $50,000, but maybe there's a $250,000 account potential um, if we were to get them successful. So they're, they're filling out all of these details. And then they also will fill in some other things that are really important. So why did this prospect want to purchase Intello? What are the key features that they're interested in? What are the top challenges that they're trying to solve? What features are they not interested in? That's that's helpful because the CSM and the training person shouldn't be highlighting all those features that they really don't care about. We want to highlight the things that move the needle for them. Um, and so there's all those types of questions. Top challenges we might face as a customer success org. And we want the salesperson to kind of think about that so that it helps the CSM think about the strategy that they're going to take on this account, kind of knowing up front some challenges that we might run into. So one of those challenges could be the DM is not very responsive. You're going to have to chase him and email him 50,000 times to get him to respond to you. It's really good to know that up front. Or procurement was a nightmare. And so if you have to do a renewal or an upsell, like they're going to get involved and they're going to want all kinds of crazy discounts. So just being able to have the AE put that in and so that the CS can be aware is really helpful. Yeah. And then a couple of other things that we do, which is a little controversial, but I love it, is we have two things we ask for. Um, one is chance of success. So we make our AEs put on a scale of one to five the, ch the chance of success of this account. A one would be like, it's going to be really hard. Maybe wasn't the best use case for this customer. Maybe was a bad deal. <laughs> um, so chance of success is a one or a five slam dunk, perfect use case. They used us in the past. Like, you know, they should be able to hit the ground running and we would put a five. And so this really helps us keep our AEs honest, but then also lets us have our CSM team know what they're getting into up front because how many people, you know, how many CSMs complain about AEs selling bad deals? This is a way for an AE to kind of upfront let us know, hey, I know this isn't the perfect deal. Here are all the challenges. Here's everything. Um, and like letting us know up front. Yeah. And then we can also, from a reporting aspect, see is there a particular AE that just has a ton of ones and twos? Um, <laughs> is there a particular AE that's like, you know, closing a ton of fives? So it also allows the sales managers to get some knowledge yeah. into kind of how what types of accounts their AEs are closing. Um, so that's- Can one. I ask yep. why, 
you said that was controversial. What what's controver- what's controversial about it? Well, I mean, you're kind of putting the AEs on the spot, and how embarrassing yeah. is that if you're an AE and you close a deal that everybody's high fiving and you've put a <laughs> one? It's a little like okay, yeah, kind of like you know, uh, it makes that celebration not as as exciting because this kind of goes out to the whole company and anyone can can look at these yeah. notes. Um, so it is, you know it is a way for um, them to kind of be put on the spot a little bit. Yeah, and so some people that. will push back on, on that. Um, but we, what we did was we just really explained that in order for us to have a great post-sale experience for the customer, we really need to know some of these things up front. If you, th- if you said it's a slam dunk and we go in and we're, you know, having, you know, thinking they're savvy and everything's going to be fine. And we run into all these challenges Well, we could have, you know, prevented that. And we could have started off on a, in a, on, in a different way, yeah. if that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so people are used to it now, but when we first did it, it was a little like people were scared to like put a one or a two. And, and we told them, we're like, you're, it's no one's going to, you know, complain. You're not going to, it's not like you're not going to get commission. If you put a one, um, we're just going to have a thoughtful conversation around, you know, how can we actually get them successful? Um, so it's been really helpful. And um, I, you know, CS managers and myself, I'll monitor these, especially if we have an account where it said the chance of success was a four or five, and then there's all these challenges down the line, we will go back to the AE and say, hey, next time, this should probably be a one or a two. Um, What was your reasoning as to why you thought it was a four or five? And just see, like, did they, you know, do they not know what to put? So you can have some really thoughtful conversations once you start tracking this in the aggregate. Um, I really like that one. That's very cool. It's a clever way to tackle it. It is. It is. And then as you, you know, as a CS leader, um, and when you run these reports in mass across all of your deals, across all of your AEs, you can start to see certain patterns that you can then bubble up for your sales managers. Um, And if you start to see that there's a trend, like maybe we had 10% of all deals we closed were ones and twos. um, And all of a sudden you see that number trending up, like now, you know, this quarter was like 30% of deals closed were ones and twos. Why is that? Did we go into a new vertical? Did we go into, you know, different types of customers? Like you can really start to unpack that a little bit if you're able to see that trending data. Um, or, or on the flip side with your CSM team, because how many of you have CSMs who complain that like the AEs always close bad deals and only close bad deals? Well, if you can show them that, nope, we're still at 10% ones and twos. And (laughs) if you're monitoring it closely and and there really truly are only 10% ones and twos, you could also help encourage your CS team to have a little bit more faith and like, no, no, I know you might, it might seem like we're closing more of these ones and twos, but really it's only 10% across the board um, for the quarter. And then some of them might be like, oh, okay, maybe it was just a couple I had. This is not really a problem. Yeah. So it helps on the other side as well. That's great. I really love what you've done in terms of smoothing things out between sales and, and CS. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the interview in a minute. Today, I want to share some information about the customer success workshops we offer at the Success League. Each of the classes we teach as a part of our CSM training program is also offered in a two to three hour expanded workshop format. 
These on-site sessions are designed to provide a rich learning experience for customer success teams and include group discussions, team exercises, and tools that team members can put to use right away. Some of the recent topics we have been addressing through these workshops are engaging executives, uncovering opportunities, building persuasion and negotiation skills, and managing time. If you have a customer success team event coming up, consider adding one of our half or full day workshops to build your group's skills and drive teamwork. I also want to mention a terrific resource from StrikeDeck called The Beginner's Guide to Customer Success. This is a 200-page ebook you can download from Amazon, and it includes fantastic tips, articles, and exercises to grow your career in customer success. CSMs will find information that helps them get started in the field, and managers will gain tools they can implement to help build the customer success function within their organization. For more information about either the workshops or the ebook, you can visit the successleak.io or strikeduck.com. And now back to our interview. You also mentioned to me that you've built some custom objects in Salesforce to help you better engage with your marketing team around customer advocacy. What, what have you done in that area? Yes. Yeah, so another custom object, and we call it customer advocacy. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, nothing, nothing scientific there. <laughs> um, but essentially, and 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 I'll take a step back. Marketing owns all of our like prospect references. So if a sales rep needs a customer to speak with the prospect during the sales process, they will actually submit that request to marketing. Um, and originally this was our process. The sales rep would walk over to the CS pod and say, Hey, I need a, I need a reference. Does anyone have a customer that I can use? And then, you know, a CS will be like, I have one. And then they'll like share contacts. And then there was just no way to scale that. There was right. no way to make sure that certain accounts weren't being requested too much. Um, so we really wanted some visibility and a, just a better way to kind of streamline this process. So marketing now owns that. And so if a sales rep needs a prospect reference, they will fill out a request to the marketing team and they'll say, I need a customer that's based in this geographic territory that is this many employees in this industry. And then marketing is able to pull a report based on this uh, customer advocacy object. Okay. Um, so in the customer advocacy object, that the CSM is the person that fills it out. So when, and we have a regular part of our process, like when we get high MPS scores, when a customer or upsells or when they renew, the CSM is constantly asking, would they be willing, uh, would they be willing to be a reference for us in the future or do some type of advocacy activity like a case study or webinar? And so when someone says yes, then we find out what are they interested in. And then the CSM then goes and logs, you know, this custom object in Salesforce. So it's we ask for things like who is the person that has agreed? Is it the DM? Is it a user of our end user of our product? What's the advocacy type? So we have a bunch of different options, case study, speaker at one of our events, a webinar, a podcast guest, because we have a podcast. Um, maybe they're interested in giving a testimonial or a quote, or they've agreed to be a reference for a prospect, um, especially our, our customers who we don't have logo permission, where they can't speak publicly. Sometimes they'll say, I'll have a private call for, with a customer, you know, a prospect that's looking to buy until I just can't do anything publicly. So we document everything that they're willing to do, and then we save that. And then that goes into a report for our marketing team and then they can slice and dice all of the advocacies across verticals, industries, company sizes, and all of that. That's great. 
Um, and then one final thing on this is we tie our CSM team's bonuses to uh, um, developing customer advocates across their portfolio. Um, so because we require them to log these, it also helps us when tracking and monitoring for their bonus as well. So it's like a little added benefit. Can would you be willing to tell me a little bit more about the, the bonuses um, and how you have that structured? I know customer success compensation is, is kind of a, a big um, topic. How, how do you actually bonus people on that? Yes, yeah, so we we give them a bonus target each quarter, and and their bonus has a few different components to it. Okay. One is adoption, and then we have one that's uh, advocacy. We've done other things in the past, like maybe like MPS. It really just mm -hmm. depends on what's really important for us during that quarter or that year. Um, but for advocacy, for example, that's one we have right now. Um, and it's based on what, what type of account they have. So if it's enterprise, we might say that your job is to get a minimum of two customer advocates across two of your accounts for the quarter. For corporate, they have many more accounts. So it might be the goal might be six or seven. Got it. Um, and so we'll we'll run that. And all, all that we do is our finance team will run a report and see that this person log two within the quarter. And if so, they get paid 100% of that portion of their bonus. Um, we, our marketing team will also do spiffs because sometimes they're like, we really need, we have a top 10 hit list and we really want a VP reference or a VP. And so they'll do an extra spiff on top of their bonus. If the CSM can do it with someone on their hit list of accounts and at a VP level or higher, for example. I love it. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I'm always really curious how people are um, doing variable comp or things like spiffs and contests and stuff. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that one area where many teams struggle is with having too many systems and procedures around contract management. What have you guys done in, in Salesforce to streamline processes between customer success and your finance team? Yeah, so this one's big, especially around as it relates to renewals and upsells and, and even just, you know, when you have customers churn. Um, mm -hmm. So we do have a churn object, um, a custom object that's our churn report, of essentially. Of course you have another custom object. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, for anything we need, there is a Salesforce object that can be built. <laughs> uh, so tell, tell have, us about it. We, yeah, we have a churn one, and this is one where we, whenever we have a, an account that will churn, we do have our CSMs perform an exit call with every account that wants to churn. Uh, and so as part of that exit call, they're finding out information. And so we have them log in this in this custom object. And so we're finding out things like what's the overall churn reason. So there's a pick list drop down of the various churn reasons that we have. Um, if competitor is a reason, we have them fill in like who is the competitor that they then went, you know, went with. Um, then we have other things like, you know, how many QBRs did this account have? Um, we have a success, a success metric uh, that for us, it's like how many hires were confirmed. So we're, we're recruiting um, software. So our customers end goal is to make hires. So we fill, we have them fill that in because it'll allow us to track, you know, our accounts at churn and kind of relate it back to the number of QBRs and the success that they had. And then we have just generic kind of fill-ins of just what's the details for the reason why they're churning. So that's a free form text where they can fill in details. Um, and then what is the ultimate result? And we usually ask like, 
would they be interested in exploring down the line? So they fill all this out and then hit submit. And then finance will then get these. And our finance team kind of, they keep track of our, our ARR and MRR and kind of SAS metrics for the business. Mm -hmm. So they're able to uh, make sure that those numbers are up to date. And that's, those are usually the reports that we pull for our board meetings, because of course the board yeah. wants to know about your churn um, and upsells and things like that. So that's one of the ways that we've been able to streamline our process of letting our finance team know um, when, you know, accounts are churning. And then internally, like, especially for CS leadership, we're able to then report on, you know, all of that churn as well. Yeah. Um, another, another object that we use for finance um, as it relates to money and, and expenses is we have a customer win gifts, op, custom object in Salesforce. And we send gifts to our customers all the time. So it could be for, because they have been an advocate. So we've yeah. logged, you know, that they've been a prospect reference or they did our podcast or did a case study. And so once that happens, the CSM is allowed to go in and um, submit a gift to be sent to that customer. Or sometimes the, our, a customer will raise a big round of funding or something big will happen at their organization and we want to send them a gift. Um, and so the CSM team will log uh, information about that gift, the reason why we gave them the gift, who did the gift go to, any kind of mailing instructions and details, um, what the amount was. Um, and so that goes to our finance team so we can track how much we're spending on sending our customers gifts. And then we can also slice and dice that by how much did we spend on enterprise gifts? How much did we spend on gifts related to them being prospect references? So we're able to have give finance visibility into that. That's amazing. Um, you have really built a lot of stuff in Salesforce. Um, given that you've built so much stuff in there, I'm imagining that you have built up some pretty robust reporting through that tool as well. What are some of the most useful reports that you've developed? Yes. So I am one of those CS leaders that's like a data junkie. Yeah. <laughs> so I love data. I love being able to um, make decisions that are based on data. It really just helps. This so is why we're some friends, of the. <laughs> I like that are you too. the same? I am the, you same. the same. I am totally the same. Yes. So, so what it's have you so, built? It's so much. Yeah, it's so it's so much easier to get things yeah. done and get things across when you have the data to back up what you're asking for. <laughs> um, so some of the things we've we've built out are is a lot of reporting around churn analysis. Yeah. Um, we're a SaaS company, so churn is super, super important. And so understanding um, and being able to slice and dice across you know, our customer base is really important. So we, because we have that churn object, we're able to report on all kinds of things like churn based on company size, industry, based on uh, reasons. So for example, we segment our customers and we're able to see like the top churn reasons based on our enterprise customers, which are completely different than the top churn reasons yeah. for our SMB customers. Yep. Um, so all of that, we've even sliced and diced our churn based on the amount of money that they're spending with us. So we know that, that companies that spend more um, with us have a lower churn rate um, and figuring out, you know, um, why. And so that that's been really helpful. We do have some really great reports. I, I mentioned earlier on that chance of success uh, field that we make the AEs fill out and really kind of understanding the trends in that chance of success. Uh, slice and dicing the chance of success across different industries and verticals. Like if we're starting to see that there's a particular industry where the chance of success is 
like nine times out of 10, always a one or two, do we want to rethink if we sell into that industry? Mm-hmm. Or do we just want to let product know, our product team, that, hey, we're struggling getting these types of accounts successful. Is there something that we can do in the product to help with this? And if they make some product changes, then do we see that chance of success in that industry? Do we see those numbers changing and trending more upward, you know, upwards over time? So we have some really fun reports on chance of success. Again, I mentioned we do it by AEs, yep. by by certain sales teams. So maybe there is a d- difference between enterprise and the corporate teams, um, different geographies mm-hmm. even. So is, is a chance of success different in the U.S. versus internationally? So we have some fun reports there. Uh, we also, I mentioned we had those trial object, uh, custom objects. So we have some fun reports as it relates to our trials. So the success rate of our trials and our closed one uh, win rates on accounts that have trials. Um, so we're able to map all of that to accounts that have had trials. And then we can follow up and um, go back and report on churned accounts or even renewed and upsell accounts and relate it back to their trial process and their trial success. Very cool. Um, we've been able we've been able to run some reports on that customer advocacy object across our customer base and then also map that to churn upsells and renewals. So we know that customers who are advocates for us, so they've taken that extra step of doing a case study or being a prospect reference, yeah. they churn at a less frequent rate than those that who have not been an advocate for us. Um, they upsell at a higher rate than those that have not. So um, they renew at a higher rate. So we've, you know, we've just been able to run some cool reports around there. Um, we've even, our marketing team have even been, been able to slice and dice our advocates, our advocates based on company sizes and geographic areas. So we know, for example, like, New York, you know, we have a lot of advocates in New York. So if marketing wants to do a field event where we're bringing prospects, but we also want to have a lot of customers there, they're able to easily see that we have a a big population of customer advocates in, you know, that territory, if that makes sense. Yeah, very cool. And then finally, around training and onboarding, we have some reports that help us monitor how quickly, we are training and onboarding users and accounts. Um, So we're able to map back, you know, accounts that have quickly been trained and quickly onboarded. Um, How does that relate to their adoption in the platform 90 days in, six months in? And is there anything that we can learn from that? That's amazing. You have built a lot of stuff in the system. And I love that you're with your reporting, you're getting to the why things are happening. And you're you're really getting deep into especially churn. I think that's always a really tough one. And, you know, from having been in your your shoes before in a role like yours, and having a board of directors that always wants to dig in on that. I love that you've built out a lot of really robust um, data on your churn and why it's happening and where it's happening. And it's wonderful. So Lonnie, you have a pretty big team. I really hope that you aren't the one who is personally administering Salesforce as well. How do you guys handle system administrations? Please, please tell me it's not just you. <laughs> it's definitely not just me. Okay, good. <laughs> um, uh, although initially it was, uh, yeah. I was, I was, I, actually learned how to build out custom objects in Salesforce, which is pretty funny. Um, But initially I was playing around, but I do have the luxury of having a CS ops person. um, And that, 
you know, this person in particular kind of owns all of the systems and tools that my team uses. Uh, so she's really focused on, you know, making sure that our CS team has the tools that they need to be efficient and to be productive. She also runs all of that fancy reporting I was just talking about. Uh, she will she will run all of that. She knows SQL, so we have you know we have some even in our own product she she kind of runs those SQL queries for me as well. Um, so she used to be she started on my actual team, and every department has their own ops person. There's like sales ops and marketing ops and CS ops, and oh, all cool. the teams have their own have their own ops people. Um, and so it was pretty decentralized in the beginning. Uh, more recently though, we decided to create like just a biz ops team. And so all of the ops people across all of our different functions kind of all sit on the same team now. And they still, you know, have their dotted lines into the teams that they're supporting. So she's still like quote unquote mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but they're all on the same team now. So there's some shared knowledge across like what systems we're using and how we're tracking message uh, uh, metrics and there's some consistency there. Um, um, so, you know, that's been really helpful. Now she no understands Salesforce pretty well, but we do have like an in-house Salesforce administrator who, you know, has built out all of those custom objects. So if we want to build out a new CS custom object, I will submit that request to her and then she will partner with our Salesforce administrator to actually have that person go and do the work to build it out in Salesforce. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely nice to have her. That is amazing. And yes, I I have been in the past um, fortunate enough to have ops people in my teams. And it, it makes all the difference in the world um, when you're not the one that's having to build stuff yourself. I know that many of our listeners are going to be really inspired by what you've done in Salesforce. Um, so what advice do you have for someone who's starting to use a CRM system to manage processes and customer success? And maybe specifically, what has been your approach to process design using a CRM tool like Salesforce? That's a great question. So I would say first, I mean, we were just talking about this, actually. Yeah. I would say first, find someone to own it. Uh, because if there's no clear owner, then many, you'll have you'll have a lot of ideas, but they won't they won't be executed on or they won't be executed on well. And so then you, you, then you just end up creating a lot of work for people and it can be really challenging. So I would say if you can get a CS ops person, get one immediately. It's, <laughs> it's definitely been game changing for me uh -huh. and for my team, you know, find a way to like show the ROI to your CFO because it's going to make your team way more efficient. It's going to make you as a leader way more efficient. Um, I before was running crazy reports in Excel yeah. <laughs> and trying to like slice and dice data in Excel. And it was extremely time consuming. So even just the amount of time you save as a leader, and I'm sure if you're a leader, you're probably paid a lot of money. So right. hours being saved of your time is great for the business. So your CFO will understand that. Um, but then all the time and the efficiency and, and the more productivity that you leverage out of your own CSMs also makes the case very compelling. Um, so I would say try to get one if you can. If you can't, that's totally fine because I didn't have one when I first started the team. It took me like, you know, I've been in Intel for almost five years. It took me probably at least two, two and a half years to get a CS ops person. Yeah. Um, so I would still say designate someone on your team to, to own this, even if this is just a side 
job for them. They're going to spend 30% of their time um, being CS ops. Mm -hmm. And these are great for people that um, are a little bit more technical, maybe in nature, or they they, they just think like that or they're really interested in that. Or if you just have someone who's already like an expert at Salesforce, um, that might help. For example, when when um, when I was first starting, we actually had a CSM on my team who had worked at Salesforce. Um, so clearly, like really understood Salesforce. And yeah. so it's a perfect opportunity for someone like that to come in. And he had even, he was a CSM for Intel, but he had even, well, at, at his time at Salesforce, um, got Salesforce certified. So it was just a really nice thing to have someone on the team with that knowledge. And it's like, okay, can you take 30% of your time and focus it on CS ops activities. And you could then give that person a slightly smaller book of business so that they have the bandwidth to do that. But I would, I would definitely say number one, make sure you have a dedicated resource. Um, then I would say the next thing is start where your biggest pain point is first, like as a CS leader, is there an area where you're really struggling to have insights or being able to make decisions based on, and you really need some data to get there? Or is there something that is is a bottleneck for you as a leader that you need more visibility into? Um, and I would start there and just really think through that use case, really think through what you're looking for. And then if you have someone who understands Salesforce, then see what is possible. Can we build a custom object? What would that look like? What kind of fields can we have? Um, if you don't have someone internally who is an expert at Salesforce, uh, Salesforce, or even just your whatever CRM you're using, there's a lot of user group forums. So you can, you know, ask people, hey, I want to build this custom object and I'm looking to do this. Any tips or tricks? And like, there's lots of people that can give you answers or even just your rep for your for your CRM. Um, and then I would say next, start, think about like, where's your team's biggest pain point? Um, so maybe there's just something on your team that's making your CSMs very inefficient, or they're doing a lot of manual work, or there's something that's not scalable. They're, you know, um, there's some areas like that, and then you can address those next. Um, that's kind of what we, we did. I mean, I, I talked about all these different various objects that we built out. And it was, a, you know, it was over like a, a year and a half to two years time span of building all of this out. I really appreciate you saying that because I think it can be easy to be overwhelmed when you're looking at all the things you'd like to do with your CRM system or with your customer success platform. And you kind of freeze if you're trying to think about doing it all at once. And I appreciate you saying that you just kind of step by step your way through it and that it took you guys a couple years to do this because I think that that's realistic. You're not going to be able to do all of this stuff you know, overnight. And even if you did, your team wouldn't be able to learn it and adopt it. And so if you do it slowly over time, it actually gives your team time to, to adopt it and build processes around it. And I think that's a, a better way to roll. So I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, my whole thing, I know it's cliche, but my whole thing is don't let perfect be the enemy of good, right? You have to start somewhere and then you can continue to iterate over time. Like we, when we first build out that sales to customer success handoff object that the AEs would have to fill out, it was a process. Like we, we, we started with like five fields in there and then we started learning, oh, it'd be nice to have this and it would be nice to have this in there. And so we kept adding to it. And then now it's to a point where we feel like, okay, we've, we've gotten everything that we need in there. Um, we now actually even require our AEs to fill that out before we even assign a, a CSM. So it's been, it's, it's really ingrained now, but it did take time. So, yeah. you know, know that you're going to have to continuously kind of iterate on it. 
Thank you for sharing that. I know you answered this question the last time you were on the show, but I'm going to ask it again because things change super fast in customer success. Um, what do you see as the biggest trend in our field right now and why? Yeah, so this is something that has been happening, but I've been hearing about this a lot more even recently is just this bigger shift to specialization. I think before when CS was customer success was newer, it was generalists, right? It was people that could do everything. And even at startups and smaller companies, you're still having to start off by by doing everything. Um, but but more and more, I'm starting to see this shift of, of kind of specializing where you have your CSMs who are really responsible for getting your customers successful and delivering and kind of demonstrating that ROI. And you're seeing them not as much have to do training and onboarding because there's a separate team that can do that. Yeah. And, you're not as, and you're not necessarily seeing them do even renewals and upsells anymore. And this was something that I think you know, even just a year ago or two years ago, um, we were seeing CSMs really own renewals and 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 upsells, and and they like they took pride in that ownership, and then they started feeling like salespeople, um, and they started getting away from actually just being success and 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 getting customers successful. And so we've just recently at Intello made the shift to take renewals off of the CSM plates. And um, this is, is new for us. And as I've been talking to other companies, I'm, I've literally like last week heard about four other companies doing the same shift. Mm -hmm. And account management, it's not account management's not a new thing. Um, but I think what happened at other companies is they got rid of account management function and it became CSMs and it was just like sales hunters and then CSMs doing everything, including account management. Mm -hmm. Now I'm seeing this trend kind of go back to account managers where you actually have sales AEs that are closing new business. You have account managers solely focused on renewals and upsells, and then you have CSM responsible for driving adoption and success with their customers. Um, and it seems a lot to have three people doing three different things, but, um, but I'm starting to see that trend there now. Yeah, I've seen that. You know, it's so funny because we were recording with another person um, right before this conversation, and she was saying that she's seeing more CSMs being asked to take on the renewal function. And so I think there's movement probably in both directions at this point, and companies are really still trying to figure out what works for them. Um, and so I, I find it interesting that there's the back and forth. Yeah. And I, and, think, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting too, because I think really it comes down to how complex and sophisticated your renewal process is. If you have an account management separate team and the renewals are pretty straightforward um, and they're pretty transactional, then I think it's perfectly fine to have a CSM responsible for it. Um, it yeah. actually probably saves you money as a company and makes you more efficient. But in our case, our renewals are very sophisticated and complex and take a ton of time to get through. And so we were finding that our CSMs were spending the majority of their time doing renewals and actually not doing the things that we originally wanted them to. So maybe it is a shift in these two different directions based on what kind of renewals companies have. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It's it's interesting. And I think something that we should all kind of keep an eye on because it's it's an interesting trend for sure. Well, Lonnie, thanks so much for agreeing to come and visit us at Strike Deck Radio again. I'm sure you have inspired many of our listeners to explore what they can do with their own CRM systems today. And I really appreciate your time and advice. Thanks. Thank you. 
I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, please subscribe to Strike Deck Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. And finally, thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time. 